Welcome to the Arlington Baptist Podcast. Again, I'm so thankful that you are joining me. We appreciate you being a part of these weekly broadcasts as we bring God's truth to light in view of what's happening in our world. That's the series that I'm continuing today called What's Happening. And we've looked at a number of different subjects. Last week, we finished up looking at a few episodes on education, mainly how we should be very uh, careful and thorough in how we educate our children and who's involved in that process. Uh, Today, I want to move to another area that's, again, involved with the family. We talked about the family uh, a few weeks ago, and that was part of our main headings on this series of what's happening. We wanted to talk about what's going on in our families. Uh, And this new subject that I want to start today uh, is really related closely to the family as well as was education that we just covered. I like to talk about today uh, the workplace, what's happening in the workplace. And I'm speaking, of course, mainly about in America and and uh, in our culture, but this could apply many of these truths that we'll talk about uh, in a more general biblical way would apply to any culture. Um, so I want to talk about the workplace. And let's start by, again, looking at some foundational biblical uh, principles. And the first thing I want to talk about, and it's just uh, such a plain and, and uh, black and white teaching of Scripture, and that is that God uh, commands us to work hard. God believes in hard work. Um, the Bible is just so replete with this. All throughout Scripture, we see time and time again that God uh, made us to work. You know, our bodies were created by God to work. You'll remember that even before the fall uh, that's recorded in Genesis 3, when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you'll remember that he said to them that they were to dress it and keep it. They were to take care of the garden. That means they were given work to do even before uh, the fall into sin and all the curse and and judgment and chaos that the uh, sin of man has brought into the world and into our lives. So uh, hard work wasn't an afterthought. It was originally in God's plan. And, you know, it's just like God's nature. If you go through the scriptures, you will see that God is a hard worker. God's always busy. He's always doing things. Uh, He's never lazy. (laughs) This view that you often see personified in the silliness of the world, they'll have God pictured as some grandfather up there kind of taking a nap on a cloud. This is ridiculous. God is always busy. Uh, Study the life of Christ from the four Gospels, and I'll tell you what you'll see. He crisscrossed Israel uh, during his three-and-a-half-year ministry. uh, He was going all the time. Uh, He'd be up before daylight while the apostles were still asleep. He'd be out praying to the Father. He spent all night in prayer at times. And and if you study, I I preached one time out of Mark chapter 1, and I would encourage you to read that chapter and follow it. It's like all happens in one day, or a good part of that chapter at least. And I, I entitled it, A Day in the Life of Jesus Christ. He was busy. And God calls us to hard work. And so we need to teach our children that. I, uh, My kids always laugh at and remind me that one of my famous sayings, and I think I've used it before already on an episode, but I want to repeat it because I, I just drilled it into our 
kids' minds and into their brains as they were growing up, I would say life is about hard work. Life is about hard work. It's about work. Uh, That's what it's about. Uh, Let me give you an example, and I could pick several places where the Scripture teaches this, but the Proverbs, to me, are are the best uh, view of God and His uh, principle on work. Uh, because he speaks of not only hard work, but the opposite. He speaks of those who are lazy. And God hates laziness. He condemns laziness. Uh, Let me read you an example of this, where he uses the example of ants. Now, this is a great example. It was true in the, the day that Solomon put the Proverbs together, and it's true today. You'll never see an ant taking a nap. Every time you see an ant, what is he doing? He's moving. He's moving all the time. So listen to this passage from Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. And the sluggard's the old King James for a lazy person, like the slug, like a sluggard, that animal, sloth. Uh, He says, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. And then, so he starts by saying, listen to and, and look at and, and consider the ant. Uh, they may not seem like much, as small as they are in the world, but look what they do. They provide for themselves. They take care of themselves. They, uh, they live off their hard work. Then he says more directly, verse 9, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. So he's talking about at the end there, one who's like a a vagrant, a hobo, we used to call him. One who doesn't really want to work, just wants to travel around and and not have any responsibility. Or an armed person is a thief. Uh, They don't want to work either. Imagine how many people in our society spend more time trying to, to rob the government or rob individuals uh, or steal money or steal things instead of working for it. Uh, God wants us to work hard. As Christians, that should be our testimony for sure. And I'll get into that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. I wanted to read one more verse out of the Proverbs. Think of Proverbs 28. Uh, it's a great chapter, but in Proverbs 28, verse 19, uh, God says, He that tilleth his land, you know what a till is. Uh, it's a, we, we think of the electronic, uh, you know, gas-driven machines, a tiller, digs up the ground, gets it ready to plant. So he's talking about he that prepares his land uh, to plant. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. Well, we can kind of fill in the blank of who those vain persons are. These are, again, the, the lazy, the thieves, the, the hobos that don't work. He says, no, you, you work hard and you'll take care of yourself. I always taught my, my kids, especially my sons who would need to lead their families one day. I told them, if you'll work hard, you'll be on time, you'll keep a good attitude, you will go far in America. Because God has blessed our country with that ability to honor and reward people that work hard and, and uh, take care of their families. So these are principles Um, Now, if I go to the New Testament, what's beautiful is that this principle of hard work uh, and how God sees the workplace uh, is really uh, laid out in the New Testament. So he's already established through the Old Testament that hard work is his plan. So he doesn't have to necessarily go into a lot of detail. 
But I love what he says here. He goes into really more about the workplace. And this is kind of where I want to go with this subject is uh, how are we treating the workplace? Uh, how are we uh, How are we as employees? Or maybe uh, you're an employer. Maybe you own your own business or you're a head of a business. Uh, I want you to see how God deals with both sides of that question. And the great passage on this, there's actually several, but I want to look at Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, Notice what God says, beginning in verse number five. He says it through Paul, writing to this church at Ephesus. He says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Now, uh, I don't want to take too much time to get into the whole slavery question. Servants, uh, they could have been slaves. They could have been bond servants that actually uh, willingly put themselves at the behest of their owners. Uh, but the word master there could be just looked at as an employer, a boss, a servant could be an employee. We can put it in our modern vernacular. He says, um, be obedient with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. What a great thought. He says, if you uh, are an employee, you serve at a, at a job, uh, at a business, whatever, they're employing you, you are to be obedient you are to fear. What does it mean, fear and trembling? He's not talking about fearing the lash of a, of a slave driver or whatever. He's really just saying you ought to respect, you ought to honor uh, your, uh, your boss, your company that you work for, and do it unto the Lord. You don't do it just because you think your boss deserves it. Hey, a lot of times we'll all, we've all had bosses that didn't deserve our hard work, didn't deserve our uh, you know, our loyalty and, 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 and uh, whatever. But he says here, you do it as unto Christ in singleness of heart. Singleness means you're not one of these two-faced people like a double-minded man, James speaks of, is unstable in all his ways. He says, you go there with one focus to be a good employee, to do a good job. And then he goes on, he, he goes further. He goes in verse six, not with eye service, that means don't just do it when you're being watched. Hey, it's easy to do a great job and look like you're working hard when the boss is watching you or when somebody else is watching you that's a superior. How do you work when you're maybe by yourself? Maybe you're sent to do a task. He says, as men pleasers. You're not doing it just to please men. He's not saying you shouldn't try to please your boss or do good for your company. That's not what he's meaning. He's saying don't do it hypocritically uh, just so people will pat you on the back. He says, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Wow, that's really good. He says, hey, you serve Christ. He's our ultimate master. And we do it as a testimony to the Lord. And because it's the will of God, there it is again. God's will is that we work hard. We give our employer an honest day's work. And he says, with good will, uh, going on to verse 7, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. He's really belaboring that point because Paul knows human nature and the Spirit's, of course, inspiring him to deal with human nature. We all get upset sometimes. We get mad about our job. We don't like it. We complain about it. And I'm not saying every job has been the best job I've had. And I know how it is to work at a job you don't want to go and you don't like to go. But hey, as a father, as a husband, you have to go and take care of your family. That's God's plan. And uh, he says, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. What a great statement. He's just saying, hey, ultimately, remember, God's going to reward you. 
Maybe your boss won't recognize it. Maybe they won't give you that raise. Maybe you don't get that promotion. But God will watch your hard work. I, I love that. You know, God keeps the record, folks. Uh, and so basically in summer, he's saying, hey, you do a good job. You work hard. Uh, you do it because you're a Christian and you have a Christian testimony. I've worked a lot of secular work along with ministry over the years I've been in, in ministry. I've been in full-time ministry in some capacity for since 1985, 39 years uh, this, uh, this fall, actually. And uh, I have worked, though, a lot of secular work along the way because I, I needed to feed my family. And the church I was working for either couldn't pay me enough or I needed to supplement my income. And I've worked in plenty of secular work, too. And even before I got in ministry, uh, I worked, uh, I was a cook, I was a dishwasher, I ran a, a submarine shop, a, a restaurant management I did. And, and I tell you, uh, I would tell you as a Christian, the best testimony you can be, Christian, is to work hard for your employer. I, I wish that every em- employer, every company uh, that, got, that uh, saw an applicant was a Christian, maybe they could put it down on there, they're, a, they're a, a Christian and they follow the Lord or whatever they could put, I wish they'd immediately hire them. Because they would know, hey, that Christian's a hard worker. He's honest. He won't cheat. He won't steal. He won't go home early and, and all these things. Uh, and we ought to have a good testimony. It's a, it's a horrible testimony for a Christian not to be a good employee. And, and back to that whole idea of laziness. I mean, Christians should never be accused of laziness. That is not of the Lord. You remember what Paul said? It was really a, a, a condemning, harsh statement. But he really meant it to be so. Um, he was talking about people, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and he was telling Timothy how to deal with certain people in the church. And, and he talked about people who won't even take care of their own families, men who are deadbeats or couch potatoes. They'll let their wife go out and work, and they won't work, or they, uh, they'll drink up all their paycheck with alcohol or whatever nonsense it is. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, his own family. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, a pagan, an unbeliever. See, this is how hard God is on this subject. Well, I didn't end my reading of back in Ephesians 6 because I had one more verse I wanted to cover. And we talked about the first part of that passage, 5 through 8, was how the employee, the worker, is to act. But I'm glad that God added at least this one verse here about how the employer is to act towards the employee. See, I told you a minute ago, I think every Christian employee ought to give their job, their their uh, company, an honest day's work. And I believe that. But on the other hand, I'll tell you this, and we're going to see it. That company owes that employee an honest and fair wage to reward them for their work. Listen to what he says in verse 9. He goes on to the masters. Remember the servants, verse 5, now the masters. And ye masters, just call that the boss, the CEO, the owner, however you want to talk about those in charge. Do the same things unto them. Wow. In other words, he kind of includes everything, all the principles earlier and says, you better treat them the same way I have told them to treat you. Forbearing, threatening. Uh, Don't threaten. Don't use harsh abuse and so on. Uh, you know, these, these real, uh, you know, tyrant type bosses at jobs that think they can strong arm people into doing something that's not of the Lord. Uh, and he's of course talking to Christian employers. Uh, you can't expect the world to live by these principles. That's true. 
But he's speaking of a Christian who would own a business, a Christian who employs people in their business. He says, don't forbear, don't, don't threaten. Forbear means to, to hold back, don't do it. Uh, stop doing it. Knowing that your master, capital M, also is in heaven. I love this. Don't forget, you masters on earth, you bosses, uh, you have a boss in heaven. He's the ultimate master. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Wow, I love that. That little phrase is used about four times, I think, in the New Testament, where it says God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't discriminate at all, does he? And in this case, he uses it to tell us, hey, God doesn't think that owner is any better than the employee. He doesn't think the boss is greater than the workers. Uh, see, that's how God uh, thinks. We're all the same. And if you're a Christian, whether you work for a company or you own a company, God wants us to treat each other with respect and, and have these principles of hard work and honesty and so on. Uh, one more passage I always I just have to go to because I, I think it's so important. Uh, in James 5, I love the little book of James, uh, back to the owners and, and how companies ought to treat their employees. It really bothers me when I read and hear about uh, these companies that are taking advantage of their employees. They either don't pay them uh, a good wage or they won't give them benefits or they don't reward them or worse yet, you hear about guys who've worked 30, 40 years for a company. They're getting ready to retire at, you know, in their 60s or whatever and the company lets them go so they won't be on the hook for their retirement. This is wicked. This is evil. Uh, listen to what God says. This is a really strong verse. I'll just read verse 4 of James 5. Here James says, Behold, they hire the laborers, the hire the wage, who have reaped down your fields. He's now talking to the owner. Listen, he's using that our, uh, or your, I'm sorry, your fields. He's talking to the owner of the field, the, the boss. And he talks about these workers who have worked and reaped down, uh, reaped his fields, harvested his fields. Now listen, he says, which is of you kept back by fraud? In other words, in some way, they, they fraudulently kept back the wage that they owed to these workers, these laborers. And he uses this next phrase, word he says, crieth. He says, you know that hire, that wage? It's crying out. This is really interesting. Uh, does money cry? Does, does money literally have voice? Well, in God's eyes, he's saying what you did cries out. Remember when uh, Cain killed his brother Abel? And God came to him and said to Cain, you know, your brother Abel's blood cries out from the ground against you. Now, blood doesn't cry or speak, but the principle is when you do something evil, God sees it and he knows all about it. And he says, if you hold back that wage, and you rip off your employees, it cries against me. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. The King James uses this word Sabaoth, not Sabbath. It's a little different, S-A-B-A-O-T-H. And if you follow it and learn from it, the Old Testament, it's really the same word that speaks of armies in the Old Testament, the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. Sabaoth is the Lord of armies. And he's basically using that to say, hey, if you rip off your employees, God sees it and he's a God of judgment and he'll send his armies against you. This is pretty, pretty scary stuff. But what I'm saying is God cares about those who work hard. So now let me kind of sum this up and move a little further today. Um, this whole idea of the employee and employer relationship 
is is a very important one. And it brings up a uh, question, and I'm not going to go too far into this because I did I did have a, a number of episodes on politics and government when I began this series on what's happening. But you do hear a lot of people who question capitalism. What is the best form of economy? Uh, is it socialism? Is communism? Uh, fascism? Capitalism? Now, people, uh, I, I had an uncle, he's passed away now, but he was a very liberal person in his politics, and, and he used to try to get me in these arguments with him. I didn't see him that often, but once in a while. And he would say that, that capitalism is nothing but greed, and he would make all these anti-capitalistic statements. Now, friends, realize, no government system, no economic system is perfect all the time. You're going to have abuses in any system. Look at communism. Look at socialism. If you want abuse, you can see a lot of it there, too. But the Bible does teach the principle of capitalism, and basically it's this principle. A man ought to be rewarded for the labor he does, and he ought to have incentive to work harder that he might gain more. There's nothing wrong with it. The Bible is not against having more things or, or acquiring more by hard work. It is against letting those <clears throat> things have you and control your life. He's not talking about greed. He's talking about benefit of your labor. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread. Isn't that interesting? I read that verse a moment ago. He didn't just say to have bread. He's insinuating by the word plenty that he'll have a lot of bread. And the more he tills, the harder he works, the more bread he'll have. It's just a principle. So I would say that the Bible definitely supports capitalism. Now, of course, it doesn't justify greed and, and, and people who, uh, you know, walk over everybody to get to where they are and have riches. Remember, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, the love of money. And so just to include that in case you wonder, there's people who have accused, uh, you know, the Bible of being communistic or, or being whatever. No, the Bible supports capitalism, but the right principle of it. Not every extreme, but it means that people ought to be rewarded. Hey, if you work in a, uh, if you're a worker in, in a socialist co country or a communist country, it's proven fact. This is not something I'm making up. It's going to be easily demonstrated. The workers have no incentive. If you're going to make the same as everybody else, no matter how hard you work, is that going to be incentive to work harder? Of course not. You know, I have nothing against and I don't hold grudges against doctors or lawyers or engineers who make a lot of money, who make a good living here in America in Western culture. You know why? In most cases, now there could be some exceptions, but in most cases, these people worked harder. They went to a lot more schooling. You know, there's doctors and lawyers and, and engineers and people of that caliber, we could say, who, who after high school did another 10 to 15 years of schooling and internship and all that. And then we're going to begrudge them because they make six figures or, or uh, seven figures in their income. I don't think we should begrudge them. They worked for it. They worked hard. God blesses their ambition. He blesses all the education and preparation that they put in. And now there's abuses of every every job and vocation. I understand that, but for the most part, we should we should not be uh, condemning and and uh, and mistreating uh, and punishing uh, rich people who got their wealth by hard work. Uh, you know, when Jesus gave the parable, well, it was a, it was a short story that would be very likely true. Could happen and probably has happened a lot of times. 
But it's in Luke chapter 12, I believe. I'm going to turn there. I'm just going from memory, but I hope I'm right on this. Give me a minute here. But remember he talked about the guy who, uh, uh, he says, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now, I want you to notice as he goes through this story, he talks about this guy who builds bigger barns. You know, it's in verse 16 uh, through uh, verse 20, basically. I want you to notice something if you read that. I'm not going to take time to read the whole thing for sake of time. But I'm just going to say this. As he goes through and talks about this man who, who brought, whose land brought forth plentifully. By the way, he says the ground brought forth plentifully. Hey, if I believe that God is the giver of life and he's the one that provides food and rain and air and all we need to live, if someone's ground brings forth plentifully, you can't blame that person. They, God must have blessed their labor. Now, that's not even the intent of this parable uh, because what Jesus will later say is it's not that it was wrong that that man gained all that uh, grain and, and, and produce, his fruits, it says, and he built these other barns to put them in. It was his attitude. Um, he says to himself in verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In fact, it's not till he uh, at least thinks about living a lazy life, a, a life of of partying and 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 uh, not working hard anymore, that God reminds him that, hey, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. So what I'm saying is in that parable, Jesus is not condemning the acquisition of the food, the grain that this man uh, harvested. He is condemning his attitude as if he has forever to live and he's trusting in his riches, remember? So back to the whole idea, capitalism is not wrong. It gives incentive to workers and businesses ought to take care of their workers and pay them correctly. Now, I don't have a lot of time left, but I do want to get into an issue that, and I might have to finish it next time, but that's okay. And that is the roles of men and women at home or outside at the workplace. Now, I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers and I'm going to sound old fashioned and that's okay. I've been accused of a whole lot worse. Uh, and I want to try to present this in a balanced way, but I'll start by saying God intended for men to work out of the home and women to stay in the home. Now, has there been exceptions and is there exceptions to that rule today that are justified? Yes. I'm not going to say it never should happen, but we have to teach God's principles and not by the exceptions. Too many people, it seems, even in their Bible uh, study, their Bible knowledge, their Bible preaching and teaching seem to want to uh, uh, stand on the exceptions instead of the rule. Now, let's go to the rule first. The rule is that when God created Adam and Eve, and of course, after the fall, we do know that God said to Adam, remember what he said? By the sweat of thy brow, thou shalt bring forth bread from the earth. He didn't say that to Eve. He said, Adam, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to go out and sweat. That's another way of saying you're going to have to work hard. And you're going to have to provide bread. We talk about being a breadwinner. That's where that comes from. That's a uh, biblical uh, truth that came into our modern language. A breadwinner is the one who goes out and earns uh, a living so the family can eat and can take care of themselves. And the Bible teaches the, the man is to go out of his home. Now, it is true that in Bible times, most all of Bible times, more in the Old Testament than the New, but most men worked right outside their door, so to speak. 
They didn't go to a, a factory or an office building or whatever, driving a semi-truck or whatever you could say. Of course, they went out and kept their fields and their animals. But still, the principle is the same. And so God intended for men to work outside of the home. Now, listen to what he says about women. So in the same way, women, uh, as God intended for them to be mothers and stay home and take care of their children and establish that bond with their children, um, God says to them that women were to be keepers in the home, right? Women were to be keepers in the home. And we find that uh, in the book of Titus, I believe it is. Let me find it here real quick. Um, There it is, Titus 2, verse 5. Uh, Well, go to verse 4. He says, and Titus is another pastor, so this is pastoral advice to the men and women of the church. And he says that, uh, he's talking to the older women here, the aged women, verse 3. Here's what the aged women were to teach the young women. Let me read verse 4 and 5 that they may teach the young women to be sober. That means sober, not in the alcoholic sense. Don't would include that. Uh, It means to be uh, level-headed, serious, take life seriously, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet. That means not a loud person, not somebody who's always out in everybody's business. Chaste, that's modest and pure. Keepers at home. There it is. Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So look at that phrase, keepers at home. Every Mother's Day, and I've uh, been pastoring long enough to know that on these special occasions, it's always good to try to take advantage of preaching on those subjects. On Mother's Day, I've preached from, and many pastors have, from Proverbs 31, the famous passage about uh, women, about a mother and wife, a virtuous woman, she's called. And if you go through that passage, you'll find out that that woman's heart was in her family mostly, in her home. Now, she did some things outside of the home, and I'll pick this up next week. I'm running out of time for today. But I'm telling you, her heart was in her home. They say the home is the castle of the woman, and she is its queen. And I believe that. And so next week, I'll pick up and we'll talk a little bit more about these roles. I didn't quite say all I want to say about that, uh, but then I want to get into some more subjects. And so our time is up. I appreciate you listening. Remember our motto, conviction for truth, compassion for people. God bless you. Mm -hmm.